All right, it is time for Mark, the fourth chapter. We are working through the Gospel of Mark, one chapter at a time, and we've come to chapter four. Are you ready to talk about chapter four today? Definitely, and I don't think anyone's going to be familiar with this chapter at all. No, there's uh, just so much new stuff in here that no one's ever heard before, and um, yeah, this is really going to be groundbreaking. No, this is a chapter that uh, Jesus does some very famous teaching, and um, not that we're going to have any brand new insights uh, on uh, the things that he's teaching here, but we will uh, try to talk about all these things in a, in a compact form. So let's start in Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. It's probably an understatement to state that Jesus is very much like a celebrity, uh, in his day and time, he is a rock star. He is he's gone viral, and everybody is uh, flocking to hear him and to get just some uh, small taste of who he is and what he's all about. And right. once again, he's having to resort to the floating pulpit uh, in order to be able to address the crowds here. Um, one of the things, though, that we're going to notice, I think, in this chapter is that Jesus recognizes just how uh, popular he is, but whenever you have fame like this and people are following you, there's always got to be like some concern that maybe there are people that are coming to hear you and see you for the wrong reasons. Right. Like maybe you've got some groupies. Yeah. But I do think that it's worth noting uh, in verse 1 here before we carry on any further that, uh, like you said, number one, like the, the crowd's rather large. Now we've got consistent large crowds because this is the second time he's had to do this. Um, and I think that the reason uh, for a lot of them, well, well, for some of them, is because they do notice the things that we've noticed about Jesus in the, in the past couple chapters, that he's compassionate, that he's uh, humble, uh, and that he's, he, he's faithful to God and he's courageous and he's willing to stand up for things and teach with authority. And I think that's why things, things are turning out the way that they are. Yeah, um, he is though. He is going to do some weeding out here uh, yeah. as he teaches, and you know there 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 would have been. We don't know what the specific numbers would have been, but obviously there is some number of these people that um, are maybe they're just purely out of kind of a curiosity, uh, or maybe they want something. You know, hey, I want a healing, so I'm going to go to the Jesus guy, mm-hmm. or or get some loaves and some fishes. Well, go to the Jesus guy. Um, but Jesus is going to kind of start whittling them down, and he's going to do that in really the only way that Jesus can, and that is by his teaching. And we see that in the very next verse, verse 2. He was teaching them many things in parables. Let's just stop right there. What is a parable? That's a uh, a word that actually is a transliteration. It's not a, a, a translation uh, from another word. It Actually, the Greek word is parabole, and it just it's a transliteration that just means a throwing alongside. And it's the idea of, of telling the story where you're going to throw an unfamiliar idea alongside a familiar idea. And there were certainly lots of reasons and I think advantages to Jesus teaching in parables. But for one, um, it's a story. And stories always captivate people. 
you know, that's it's uh, more enjoyable to hear somebody tell a story than to just lecture, you know, about mm-hmm. uh, some particular subject. Um, and so it just has a way of just captivating people. That's kind of because we're all living in our own story. We we know what a story is. We we live it out every day. We have a, we have a collection of memories and experiences, and and that's profound and meaningful to us. We call it life. And then Jesus, you know, takes a snapshot of that, something that they, that people back then and still today do all the time in this parable, uh, which was farm. And he does that over and over again. That's right. And the the idea there of of we find ourselves in those stories, and that really is the point of the parables. Is like um, you need to find your place here. Uh, there's really not. I, I can't immediately think of any of the parables where there's not some application to everybody, and everybody needs to find. Okay, who am I in that story, or where where is my place in there? And that's the only way to come 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 away understanding the parables. If we go away just thinking, oh, well, that was a cute little story about a guy farming, then we've missed the point. Yep. And um, and like I said, this is the way that Jesus is going to kind of start separating some of the wheat from the chaff, if you will. So what is this first story? Verse 3, listen. My Bible's got an exclamation point after the listen. Mine does too. I think it's significant. And I think when Jesus is saying listen, I don't think he's meaning like hear what I'm about to say. I think he's meaning hear what I'm about to say. Yes. Like let it hit you, feel it all the way down, experience it, think about it. This is going to be significant. It's like a parent saying to their child, listen to what I'm telling you. Like mm-hmm. this is this is hefty, important stuff. So listen. And actually he's going to bookend uh, this particular parable with the plea to listen. Listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it didn't have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, it was scorched, Since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he concludes at verse 9 by saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that, of course, is one of the signature note phrases that Jesus will sound uh, again and again about uh, being ready to to hear, and it is all about hearing. I think he's just going to stress that again and again uh, throughout this entire chapter and all the parables that he's going to that he's going to tell. Um, who who here in this crowd is really listening to me? Who here really wants to get it? This is what it means when you need to hang on Jesus's every word, and that's why I think sometimes we do studies that we call like expository. Like I mean, kind of like what we're doing now, where we're you know sometimes we'll just take one word like that word listen, and we'll like we'll hang on that one for a minute. And I think I think that that that's like what he's looking for in these uh, you know the, these followers that are are looking to to get to know him is do they really want to know me or do they want do they want what I have to offer again? Yeah, he he, he does have the he can offer miracles and he does those in his rightful place but that's not the main thing that he has come to offer he's yeah. come to offer the words of life and eternal life now we'll talk about the parable uh, as far as the, the the meaning of it here in just a second when Jesus ends up explaining it but it is just kind of worth noting in the actual first telling of the parable of the sower um, that expression there at the end of verse 8 about the seed that falls into the good soil mm-hmm. uh, and that it produced a crop of 30-fold, 60-fold, and maybe even 100-fold to like a New Testament agricultural audience. 
those are huge harvests. Those are not normal size harvests. You know, most farmers would have been thrilled to have gotten fourfold or fivefold. You know, that would have been a good year. And so for Jesus to talk about this idea of 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, he's talking and teaching in a way that's just like going to captivate the imagination. Yeah. People are going, whoa, this, what is this about? This is essentially like a preacher getting up and saying, and if you do this, you're going to make a billion dollars. <laughs> yeah. You know, today people will be like, oh, well, what is, yeah. what's he going to do? I mean, we're, we're not we're not being televangelists here, but uh, the metaphor. Yeah. We, we do use metaphors like that. Yeah, the, embellishing a little mm-hmm. bit. And, and that is, well, of course, from the spiritual standpoint, the 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold thing is exactly right. And that's the point Jesus is going to make. Right. Uh, that's the play that he's he's really kind of working with the words there. Um, so here's where we start to kind of start separating some people out. Verse 10, when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. Now, what that suggests to me is that somewhere between the seam of verse 9 and verse 10, there were some people that left. Mm-hmm. Again, we got these big crowds, and then now, a little while later, he's alone, and all it is is the 12 guys that he's chosen as apostles, and then a few others, again, we don't know exactly how many, but I'm going to take it that probably the majority of people went home. And they thought, oh, that was a cute little story. You know, got to hear about a farmer. Uh, not really sure what I was supposed to take from that, but uh, I appreciated him telling us that. But the 12 and the ones who were around him, they recognized there's more than just a story going on here. This was supposed to be more than just for our entertainment um, we're supposed to get something out of that. And that's why in verse 10, they asked him about the parables. And the neat thing is, Jesus is going to give a, a great answer, and he's going to end up giving even more teaching to these select few in the verses that follow. And that says to me that when you want more, Jesus is going to give you more. Right. When you are that person that he talks about as hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you're going to be fed. And you're going to be filled. Sometimes that's a, uh, I mean, in, in my prayer life lately, um, I, I've, I've felt a little bit of maturing. Now, I'm definitely not where I need to be, but uh, I'm praying more for stuff that, that's difficult, that, that's hard to chew on, mm-hmm. and praying for more challenges. And I think, like you said, uh, if you want it, you're going to get it. Sometimes that 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 that's a lot to bear, though. Um, and uh, the gospel's uh, pretty significant, pretty pretty heavy when it hits you. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's, just, let's just notice Jesus' response, verse 11. See, he says to this little group that's with him, they're asking about what's the meaning of this parable. Verse 11. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, these might sound like kind of cruel words uh, for Jesus to say. Uh, actually, what he's doing is he's just quoting from Isaiah, I think six. it's chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 there. Um, and what Jesus is just saying in a really matter-of-fact way here is I think he's just saying there are people who are not going to get it because they don't want to get it. Right. And and that's the whole point of the parables like we just established earlier, like the laying alongside of here's this physical thing, but but encoded within the physical thing is a spiritual application. Because if, if you just talk in vague spiritual terms, for people who are not spiritually minded, it's just going to 
boom, right like go right over their head. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, people can't see me pantomiming. Yeah, I was going to say, I need to explain it for the <laughs> listeners. Yeah, it's just going to go right over their head. And so, that again, that's the weeding out process. But it, for those that want to know the spiritual aspects, Jesus just made it so much easier for them to understand now. Yes, yes. And so for people who want to get it, Jesus says, you're going to be able to discover the secret of the kingdom. And I'm gonna, I'm of the persuasion that if you just wanted to kind of boil it down, well, what, what, what is the secret of the kingdom? The secret of the kingdom is Jesus. He is what makes sense of everything. It, you can't understand the Old Testament without Jesus. Mm-hmm. The, the, the things that Jesus uh, teaches and says himself, uh, you, you have to have confidence and faith in who he is and what he said uh, that he is. And everything, oh, yes, oh, of course. This story about the parable of the sower, it all makes sense when you have an understanding of who Jesus is and what he came uh, to bring. And I think what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to look at this parable and all of the parables through the lens of Jesus. Yes. That, that's the only way that, again, anything uh, is ever going to make sense to us. And, and to, to your point, Jesus, again, people, you can't just have that surface level. We're going to talk about that later on in the parable, but he, who he is is not just a character. Uh, you know, He already weeded out the, the fans. Now he's looking for the followers that are there. Um, but Jesus, he demands the secret of the kingdom is that, that, that it's, it is a secret. It's, it's, it's simultaneously the most obvious and least obvious that yeah. this, this lowly, meek individual who was crucified and treated like a criminal is also the, the greatest authority that's ever come. Yeah. That's the secret. Yeah. And he was, of course, what made it um, hidden from certain people was because they were looking for something different. They were looking for you know a, a king royally who looked the part and who you know was wealthy and had you know this great pedigree and looked a certain way and um, just um, you know was was going to come with you know soldiers and was ready to just take down the Roman government. And when Jesus mm-hmm. came along and he he was not all now he was a, he was a, a king yeah. and he does have a pedigree, <laughs> but it was not necessarily the the physical outward thing that they were looking for. Uh, it was easy for them to reject it. Just they, what they wanted was this is this is why he had to weed people out because they wanted someone who would take care of all their physical needs. And yes. entertain them yes. with you know uh, riveting stories, not like a boring story about just like a farmer throwing seed, you know, yeah. uh, someone who would uh, be be that charismatic king that they wanted to 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 give them what they wanted in their hearts and not serve God and what He wanted. Yeah, and they were, and, and think about it. I mean, so many people who lived in first century times, they literally did verse twelve. They literally saw Jesus. And yet they didn't even perceive that he was the Messiah. They literally heard the words of Jesus coming out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. And they did not recognize that he was the king that the, that God had always promised. Yep, and I think there are plenty of people... Uh, That's today. still going on today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They, 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 Oh yeah, Jesus is the Son of God, and they'll even say it with their own mouth yeah. even. But they don't know that, like really know that he's the Messiah. They don't live yep. and believe that. There's no telling how many times they've... They've heard or um, you know seen through the eye of faith the truth and then and then didn't do anything about it um, and that's that's the issue with these people and so Jesus now says to the group that's standing there verse thirteen he says to them do you not understand this parable 
How then will you understand all of the parables? So he's going to do them the favor of now he's going to explain the parable. And this is actually, uh, this is the only time that Jesus explains a parable. Um, as, as best we can tell, and certainly in the Gospel of Mark, this is the first parable that he tells, and there's a pretty good chance this is probably the, the first of all the parables. I think this is definitely the 101 starter parable for him to show them, hey, this is how a parable works. Yes, and this is a good one to start with because there's there's lots of uh, layers and lots going on here. So here's the explanation, verse 15. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So already Jesus is going to kind of, he's laid alongside some things. So here's the, the familiar thing, which is a seed, and maybe the kind of the, the unfamiliar idea here is that this is the word of God. That's the representation here. And that's such a powerful illustration to always think of the, the word of God as being a seed because that never changes. You know, the seed that you put into the ground, you know, 2,000 years ago, to get watermelon seed, if that seed could be preserved down to this present day in 2019 and you put it in the ground, what are you going to get? A watermelon. You're still going to get a watermelon. And so it's the same way with God's Word. You, What you plant today with God's Word, if the world stands for another 2,000 years, it's just going to produce the same result, and that is a Christian. Um, and that's just a powerful uh, metaphor, I think. It just shows how wise and smart God is. We could use all kinds of other metaphors, but that's just a, a, a great one. Brief little side point. Uh, that means that we don't have to change with the times. Yeah, uh, there, there, there's, it's all well and good for us to use some of the benefits that we have uh, from being in this modern age, but at the end of the day, that doesn't mean that that somehow the the Christian system of religion that Jesus established that doesn't need to change with the times. Yep. It, it needs to stay exactly the same. That's what makes it what it is. Is that it's the same seed. Yep. And so the idea then is that this seed uh, is being sown on different types of ground. And obviously, as you read along here, then these different grounds or soils, they represent a person's heart. Um, and so what we're looking at is we're looking at uh, one, two, three, four different types of reactions that happen whenever God's Word uh, gets into a person's heart. And actually, this first one is a case where eh, the Word really doesn't even get into their heart. Mm-hmm. Actually, here's some seed that gets sown, and it lands on the path. That would have been considered like kind of that... That, that packed down part of like a garden where like the sower has walked, you know, it's, it's the part that he walks on when he's throwing the seed, but when he throws the seed down, sometimes the seed bounces into the soil, but sometimes it, some of it gets over here on the path. And it's that hard, just packed down, you know, almost clay type that it, it's not going to get in. And so what ends up happening is, well, nothing happens. Uh, there's no real result there. And the illustration here is that that's what happens when the seed uh, falls on essentially a hard heart. It just kind of bounces off. The yeah. devil takes it away. This is the kind of person that uh, I've experienced, like you know, trying to, to be evangelistic. Like they they have extremely surface level objections. They haven't thought them through at all. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, and they'll just chuck something out there like, "There's too many hypocrites in the church," or yeah, you know, I just. I, I just fall asleep every Sunday. I can't go to church, or you know, they think about it in terms of like going to church, or like they think they don't think about it as like the deeper level of like what's going on spiritually. And yeah. these are just those people that are like, I just don't see the value in that because yeah. they, they haven't really tried to. Exactly. There's been no real effort to, uh, to 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 get past again just the surface level. I mean, they are the people of verse twelve too. It's the people that 
they hear and see, but they just they just don't want to understand. Mm-hmm. Hard hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the second ground? Well, verse sixteen. These are the ones that are sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy, but they have no root in themselves. And so they endure for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Now, so here's a person who um, the word at least gets in. It's all right. We're, we're at least progressing a little bit. The word has got into their heart, and there's an immediate reaction to it. Hey, they're I mean they're excited about it. Immediately they receive it with joy. And and you've encountered these kinds of people before, and I, I've known lots of these kinds of people throughout my life that like maybe they come from like a, a a difficult or a rough background, and when they realize that there's there's hope in Christ, and they hear that message, man, oh, man, it's like a, yeah, I can I, I, I can have something more than what I've ever had the whole rest of my life. Or maybe here's a person who uh, has been corrupted with uh, erroneous teaching, and they learn the truth, and so there's excitement, like, man, I, I, I really learned something here, and I'm getting this. And so there's uh, eagerness, there's a zeal, a, a vigor when they come up out of the water, and they're on fire for a moment, but... Um, Deeper roots are not being established. And so then as soon as some difficulty comes along, a little bit of persecution comes along, maybe some resistance at home, um, whatever other kinds of difficulties come along, they start to realize this is tougher than I thought it was going to be. It, it just becomes like anything, any any old excuse. That's what it is. It's The difficulties yes. function as excuses to make compromises. And then, like you said, since it's not do- deeply rooted, each one of those compromises is a little wind of change that slowly rips the roots up, and then they uh, they, they just get lost in the tempest. Yeah. And and that's a result of like not looking inwardly, not asking how much deeper can my faith and love, you know, the the hymn when, when my love for Christ grows weak, like look at like looking to strengthen that love. Yeah. That they just haven't done that. They they have the initial feeling of just because because to someone who's lived completely in the darkness, one drop of light. Is like exhilarating. Yeah, but then you have to you have to have more than that, or yeah. it, it's not enough. Well, and maybe what this says is that our job is maybe we need to do a better job of telling people up front there are going to be some of these rocks. It's the rocky ground, so there's going to be some rocks along the way. You know that like we need to let people know it's not always going to be. You know, sunshine and rainbows. Uh, <laughs> once you become a Christian, I mean, yeah. there's going to be some tough stuff, and we need to help prepare people for that. And I do fear that there's been times where I've I've not done enough of kind of helping people to count the cost a little bit um, before they enter into this, and and so that they're prepared for that. Uh, Jesus seems to be talking about people who are just really caught off guard uh, by that, and um, it, it doesn't excuse them in any way, but um, there's going to be rocks. And uh, and we want to help as best we can to try to help clear some of those rocks out of the way. But even despite our best efforts to clear the rocks, there's still going to be other rocks. Yeah, I feel like in, in the past, you're definitely right. There's there's some shoring up that needs to be done on the account of us and, and, and everybody who wants to be an evangelist or you know make disciples of, of like you said, letting people know. We, we don't have to explain all the different doctrinal elements right away. Uh, and that's it, what we're it, usually, you know, inclined to feel like that's what we need yeah, to do yeah. first and foremost more than anything, which that's it's a, just not always like a first and foremost thing. I honestly do think that that might be a little bit Pharisaic. Like we, we, we before we get into like you know the uh, 
plurality of the eldership and why we do everything that we do and and all that stuff. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, if someone understands that Jesus is their Lord and Savior and they want to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins and they want to they, they want to they want to start a new life in Christ and they want to be members of His kingdom, then well, maybe maybe what we need to do is we need to emphasize that this is what this looks like as you're walking this cross up yes, Calvary Hill. Yes. I've gotten into the habit before I baptize somebody. Um, one of the questions I now ask beforehand. Are you is, cool if we crucify you right now? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'll ask it in a much more tame way. I'll usually just ask, how do you think your life is going to be different from this point on? Right. And if the answer is, well, it, I don't think it'll be much different at all, then then we need to sit back down and kind of talk a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but if you do have some understanding that, yeah, there's going to be some changes, and sometimes those changes bring hardship, then, all right, that that means we've done some cost counting, yeah. and um, and maybe we are you know a little bit more more ready. Yep. Um, so here's a person that just does not d- does not have roots, and so um, the word doesn't produce fruit. Um, verse eighteen. Now, other ones are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. And the desire for other things enters in and chokes the word, and it proves unfruitful. So again, the word gets in, good, uh, seemingly uh, produces a Christian, but over some time, this is not hardship and difficulty that's caused this person to uh, fall away. Now what we have is we just have we have sin, we have just just the cares of the world. Um, just daily life takes over, and uh, just other stuff. Um, and there's a you know you can fill in the blank with a zillion different things of what that other stuff is. And I, I mean I know dozens of different examples throughout my life of what that other stuff can be. Uh, it can be family, it can be sports, it can be a job, it can be you know recreation and fun. Um, but these are people who have not made the priority. The kingdom of God, seeking right. first His kingdom and His righteousness. We we just got to give credit where credit is due, and give the devil his due, like they yes. say. You know, he he's crafty. He adapts on the fly. Uh, he's not a one trick pony. And if he can't, you know, uh, dishevel you and make you the person that kind of the type two person that's zealous at first, and then just use the the suffering and tribulations, then then he'll use some positive reinforcement to try to convince you and and say, well. This is so fun over here. This is so pleasurable over here, and uh, I think that's I think that's the next logical step that you would take if you were trying to uproot someone's faith. Because once you develop roots, it's like, all right, now when these tribulations come, well, what do you do? You you lean on God through those. Mm-hmm. So then, if Satan's seeing that, then he's saying, oh well, they're leaning on God through these sufferings. I'm not going to be able to uproot them with that. Well, then what what is he going to do? Well, he's just He's just going to slowly inch you away from the one that you're leaning on. Yeah. Small little compromises. Yeah. So here's a person who's they they've got some roots. That's that's a little bit better than the the, the rock. But the devil's like, well, I'm going to get in and just smother and choke the roots with with all this other other stuff. And yeah, it's interesting. Jesus mentioned Satan specifically in verse 15 with the you know the 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 the, the wayside path. Um, but that doesn't mean that he went away after that. He's evident in the rocky ground. He's evident in the thorny ground. Um, and another thing about 18 and 19, too, is this is kind of happening under the radar. 
Yes. Like, yes. You can't see that the roots are, are withering away and dying until the plants are just dead. Yes. Um, and, Much more insidious. And this that's how he slowly operates. The more and more, you know, uh, we we try to develop our faith, the more and more he tries to lie better. And then we, we miss out and we can't see all the time when this is happening to someone. And this is the kind of person that actually, if you're trying to like put a face to this, this could actually be the kind of person who... They come to church all the time. Mm-hmm. It's not like they fall away. And actually, Jesus doesn't even say uh, that they fall away uh, like he did in the rocky ground. This is a person who, maybe on the surface to the rest of us, they look like a faithful disciple. But the problem is, verse 19, they're not fruitful. Yep. Um, they're just a person who, I mean, they're certainly going through all the outward motions of of looking like a Christian, but they're not actually bearing fruit to the glory of God. It's just these small, tiny moments of idolatry. Yeah. Just that if he can get you to just look to this idol for just a second every day, slowly it'll whittle you down, and and like it says, it'll choke you. Choking, choking, as opposed to like getting like you know struck in the face or stabbed or something. Choking happens real slow. Yeah. That's a slow way to go. You would know about that, don't you? I, I know a thing or two. You Not about being stabbed, but about choking. Yeah, you know a little bit about choking, Mr. <laughs> Jiu-Jitsu. All right, verse 20. <laughs> but, so here's a lot of bad news. But, verse 20, those that are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, and they accept it, and they bear fruit. And here's that 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So th- this is obviously what we want. Uh, this is what we want for other people, the people that are in our lives, what we want for our kids. It's what we want for us. We want to be uh, that good soil that um, is actually yielding fruit uh, for God. Um, it's at this point that if you're in that group that Jesus is talking to there that day, you're hearing this explanation, or whether you're just you and I or whoever's listening to this, um, it's at this point we have to ask ourselves, Where am I in this parable? You cannot listen to this teaching and not come away drawing some kind of a conclusion about where you are. Am I, you know, am I soil number one or soil number two or soil number three uh, or soil number four? And and I don't know the answer to that question for anybody else. Uh, I've got to answer that question for myself. But that's what Jesus is teaching, and that's what these parables push us to do. They push us. Uh, to see ourselves in them and come to a conclusion about where we are. Which means, hopefully, that as people are listening to this podcast right now, and as we're talking about each of these types, that they would have been thinking about themselves first before they thought about anyone else. They should have been thinking about themselves Yeah. and where they're at. Yeah. And it's easy for me to say that, that oh, I'm, I'm, I'm good soil, you know. I'm a good, good... <laughs> I'm a good noodle. ...fruit-bearing Christian. Um, but... Yeah, I'll be honest with you. There, there are days and there are moments in life where uh, I'm not good soil. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are things that sometimes I'll hear, you know, preaching and teaching on that it's so convicting that I, I don't want to hear that. And and in that moment, uh, I'm, I'm I'm not being good soil. Right. Uh, and I push that away and I try to you know suppress that and keep that from uh, really uh, affecting my conscience in any way and doing something about it. But when we do that, we're we're not being truly the good soil that. God wants us to be. And that's why this uh, extremely, quote-unquote, basic, you know, quote-unquote, played out, this parable everybody's heard over and over again, why it's so important for us to keep looking back to. Yeah, it's it's really is timeless. That's the other thing about the, the parables of Jesus. These are timeless stories that just never get old. To really kind of keep pushing 
the crowds and to push us to see if we really want to get it with Jesus, Jesus doesn't stop with this parable. He's now going to stack up one, two, three more parables right on top of it. So, verse 21. He then said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. But for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So Jesus uses this uh, it, the illustration here of the uh, of the light and the, 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 the put it under the basket and we have a little song this little light of mine I'm going to let it shine and right. put, it, put it under a bushel no I'm going to let it shine and Jesus is pushing here that of course if you're talking about we're talking about the secret what's the secret of the kingdom we're talking about this light well well who or what's the light Jesus it's Jesus and so he's he's pushing people here to kind of break out of of, of how they would think and of course. You know, normally just the idea of light, that's, that's something that was used time and time again, even in the Old Testament, to describe God the Father. Jesus says, I'm now here in, in bodily form, and I'm letting you know I am that reflection of that light. Um, and really it's the idea here, look at verse 21 again. When he, he asked the question, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? The actual rendering of that verb brought, it should actually be come. So it should be should read, does the lamp come to be put under a basket? Now, the reason it's not translated that way is because that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, if I'm in a dark room and I need a light, I don't look around and say, hey. Come here, lamp. Light, come here. <laughs> yeah, that, that doesn't work that here, way. Here, lamp, lamp, lamp. Um, it, the lamp is brought to you. So that's why it's stated that way. But the reason the real word here is come is because in a very real sense, that is what this light did. Indeed. This light, Jesus, was not brought. No, he came. Yes. He came here to shine the light of the glory of God. Uh, and he does not want he does not want him and his light to be kept a secret. That's why he doesn't want it put under a bushel. Get, at, get the bushel away. Yeah. This light needs to be radiated everywhere. I, I do think there's one sense where the word brought could be applied, though, if you think about you know the Father bringing Jesus to us. Yes. Um, but regardless- and there is the sense in which we... Are, are supposed to be bringing or bring the light to others. Right. Sure. I, and I think this is about, I think this is about, uh, just the upheaval that Christ brought and how he exposed, like the, uh, the, the passage from, uh, John 3 about how he's the light and how he exposes the dark and the revelatory nature of, of just his whole ministry. Yeah. Of, of, of that's what a light does is it, 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 it reveals things and it shows us things, and that's what Jesus is saying. I'm here to show you some things, and then naturally, like you said, I want you to bring this to other people and show them. Yes. Too. Yes. So we're all, you know, we're all in this black, inky cavern, and we don't even know. Like we're just feeling around right now. We, we've gone all on our own way. We don't even see the path anymore. And he's like, "I'll light it up for you." Let me reread verses 24 and 25. This is, I think, this is the New Living Translation, if I'm not mistaken. Because uh, th- there was kind of some tongue twistery type statements there. Uh, listen to what he says, because he's really just pushing this. How well are you listening? Are you really listening to me? Verse twenty-four. Pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given, and you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening. 
even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. And so Jesus is just pounding away at this business of, are you listening to me? Are you really listening? Because if you are, your cup's just going to overflow with, with, with what you get. Put in simple Appalachian, uh, pay attention, guys. Yes. <laughs> and, and what that means, just practically speaking, is that um, when I'm sitting in uh, like a Bible class, yeah. all right, am, am, am I just sitting there just to like, you know, fill in the blanks in my workbook uh, or just kind of like, you know, mindlessly going through the motions of that or am I diligently seeking for the truth? When I'm doing my daily Bible reading, am I just kind of superficially skimming through the chapters just to be, you know, I can check the box off, oh, okay, I read that today. Or am I digging deeply into the Word? When I hear a sermon being preached, uh, am I sitting there thinking about, you know, how this applies to that guy over there or that lady over here? Or am I thinking seriously about how this is for me and how this is speaking to my life and changes I need to make? That's what Jesus is pushing for. Are you listening? And right. do you really want to get it? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want more, you're going to get more. And so that's exactly what, what they're going to get. Verse 26, mm-hmm. the next of those parables. He said to them, Then the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Now, this is another sowing parable, but it is a little bit differently some of the details that are given. The sower here, he sleeps and he rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Then when the grain is ripe, at once, or immediately, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, this parable is only found in Mark's gospel. And it's, it's, it's probably one of my favorite of kind of the, the, the unknown parables. Because uh, it just conveys some really important truths. I think one of the things it conveys is the idea that um, evangelism is a process Right. That it's not the kind of thing that I'm going to sow the seed tonight and then tomorrow I expect it's going to produce a Christian just immediately. Um, that very seldom happens that way. Um, usually it takes it takes a long time. Uh, and there's some things that have to happen. And that's I think that's explained there in verse 28. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Then when the grain is ripe, the harvest is ready to come. Sometimes we try to like... You know, kind of fast forward that process, and we want to get straight to the to the to the harvesting stuff without having done, you know, some of the the harder work that needs to happen first. Um, and then the other thing that always jumps out at me is verse twenty seven, when it says, you know, he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and it grows, but but he knows not how. Sometimes when people ask, you know, well, why hasn't so and so obeyed the gospel? You know, they've they've heard millions of sermons, and they've heard the truth over and over again. You know, what's holding them up? And this passage tells us, we don't know. (laughs) We don't know. We don't know how the seed is working in their heart. Um, I can't give an answer uh, for that. Again, this is a heart thing, and the seed is, the word is getting into their heart, and what they're doing with it, and the, 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 the power that they're allowing it to have, that's, I mean, only them and the Lord know about that. Yeah, I mean, the physical application just, we don't know, especially farmers back then. Yeah. There's no science to tell them. And even today, we don't have a full understanding of every minutia of how a seed becomes a, a fully blossomed plant yielding fruit. Like yeah. that, we don't know. We don't know all that that goes into that. And I think there's a lot of stuff about uh, who Jesus is that, I mean, it hits us on a subconscious level, but we don't even know. Yes. Like, I don't even know the depths of how much he loves me 
in in a very in a very like real sense I I still have so much to learn about who Jesus is and about who I am in relation to him that I don't even know about or understand. I just know that's working. Yes. That's all I know. And that's and that's why I think the emphasis of this little parable is it's much like the first parable that the emphasis is on the seed and what God is doing with the seed. You know, there's nothing in the parable about uh that the farmer makes this thing grow. You know, he doesn't go out and shout at it and like, come on, grow. You know, he doesn't put up a PowerPoint. To, you know, here's how you grow. No, the the power was still in the seed. Right. And that's what we need to recognize about when it comes to evangelism. That the power is not in the way that I say it or how I present it. The power ultimately is in the seed itself. It's in the Word. It's in it, God. Yeah. Uh, that's where the power lies. Now that doesn't mean that like. I divorce myself from that process or that I don't take part in it. Well, of course I take part in that. i got to get the seed to where it needs to go. Um, but let's leave the power in the Word, uh, and the power's not going to rest in, in us. Hebrews 4.12, some, somehow the way that God has orchestrated everything, yep. it just stabs you. Yep. It just cuts you right open, and that's we don't, we don't, know, we don't even know exactly all the, the, the reasons why that is. Yep. One more parable, uh, verse 30. He said to them, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground, it is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and it becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Now, using this uh, illustration of the mustard seed... uh, I would like to think this is somewhat obvious. At least it is for us today. We've got 2,000 years of, of hindsight for us. But the mustard seed it was the smallest of, of the seeds back then, and a Jewish audience would, would have understood that. But they also would have understood that, yeah, you plant that tiny seed, it becomes something really big, something amazing. And that's what Jesus is talking about with his kingdom. Think about what he starts with, with his kingdom. Just him... And twelve ragtag dudes. Mm-hmm. Ragtag know. is the word, yeah. Yeah, and by the time we get to Acts chapter two, uh, it's you know these well, eleven guys then, and one hundred and twenty disciples in the city of Jerusalem. That doesn't seem like much at all. In fact, in the grand scheme of things, that seems very very small. But then come the day of Pentecost, what do we see? Three thousand. Three thousand. And later in Acts, 5,000, and then just multitudes and scores and scores to where today, here we are now, you know, nearly 2,000 years later, and the kingdom of God is just continuing to grow and to flourish. Despite all the onslaughts and attacks of the devil, uh, this tiny mustard seed uh, has grown to be something just amazing. And that's because of who is the head of it. Because Jesus was, I mean, you zoom in a little closer. It, Forget about the disciples. Forget about the numbers of, you know, members of the church and, and and followers of Jesus. Just look at who Jesus was, and this this that that's the reason that his kingdom does what it does because he's like the ultimate underdog story. Yeah, he wasn't ever supposed to have that much impact or influence in the world, but somehow, like according to the world, you know, they're like this is nobody. Yeah, uh, but somehow he did, and I think that that should get our attention. Yeah, and think too about. Almost kind of is, kind of gets to the courage of Jesus. Think about the gall to say in that time that this kingdom that I'm bringing, um, it's going to be greater than all others. He's saying that in the midst of the Roman Empire. Oh yeah. 
And yet now, here we are 2,000 years later, which of those two kingdoms is still standing? It's Jesus's. That's that prophecy from Daniel. Yeah. We won't get into all that. But but that would have taken some great, you know, like I said, some some real courage and boldness to say, this kingdom that I'm ushering in, uh, it's going to be greater than even this one that you're living in right now that seems, you know, so mighty and so strong. Verse 33, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. I do find that interesting, verse 33. Uh, he told them parables as they were able to hear it. And I just imagine listening to all of these. So here's four parables just here in one setting. That's a lot to digest. I'm having a lot to digest right now. Yeah. And I've studied these multiple times. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> so Jesus at least recognized that, you know, hey, the, the, the mind can only take so much at once. And sometimes we make the mistake. We get so excited, you know, talking to people about the Bible. And, like, we want to tell them everything that we know, like, all at once. You want to talk about Jesus? Well, let's start in Genesis. And then, <laughs> yeah. like, it's fast forward six hours later. And so then in Revelation, <laughs> you know. Yeah. We we need to use it. we take some good good evangelistic cues here from Jesus that like let's let's give people what they're only able to to hear and bear uh, at a time. Um, this is important stuff. So verse thirty five. On that day, this is a jam packed day here. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, "Let's go across to the other side." So he's already in the boat. Hey, let's just go ahead and go to the other side of the sea here. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? This would probably be a great place as we're reading this to have some sound effects of, like, wind and lightning and so forth going on. Yeah, okay, let's not do that. Uh, verse 39. Don't breathe into the mic. <laughs> yeah. Verse 39. So Jesus awoke, and he rebuked the wind... That's just a great statement. Just stop it. Yeah, just <laughs> yelling at the wind. Just stop doing that. It's just like okay. And then he said to the sea, "Peace, be still." And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he then said to them, "Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith?" Verse forty-one. And they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, "Who then is this that even the wind and the sea?" Obey him. Yeah. Um, what do you even say? Yeah. Um, you know, it just seems like we're kind of he, he's getting some kind of some new milestones with the disciples. I mean, these guys, the ones that are with him right now, you know, these are the the, the most devoted, and they are the ones that are clinging to his word, and so they've kind of leveled up a little bit. But now here's another place where it's like another level up, where they're recognizing. All right, this guy's done some amazing miracles thus far. We've seen him heal some people. That's pretty awesome. We've seen him cast out demons. I mean, that was pretty awesome. Um, we've seen him speak with such amazing authority. That's awesome. But as well, he's able to just say the word to the storms and to the sea, and they just fall down at his command. I mean, can you just imagine like standing there on that boat, and you're just like getting pelted? And, you know, you just see Jesus. Everybody else is clearly disheveled and distressed, but he's just standing there calm as can be. 
And he just kind of like lifts his voice and says that. And he just turns back to look at him. And all of a sudden, it's just serenity. The, the waters are just completely calmed. Like, that would just... Like like I said, they're filled with fear. Not for the storm anymore. Yeah. It's for him. Yeah. Because he's so... We talked about his compassion. We talked about his courage. His power. His power. Yeah. And, you know, there's always lots of applications made out of this. And actually, lots of our songs and our hymn books that... You know, talk about till the storm passes by and how, you know, you could use this as kind of an analogy for how Jesus, you know, is able to guide us safely through the storms of life and he's able to bring us to the other side where there's the calm and so forth. And that's great to make all those points. But I I, I don't think that's what Mark's trying to impress upon us. It's just because we've just heard so many parables that people are like, I think that's why people are like, we need another big analogy. This is like a a parable. Like, this is greater. Like yeah. This actually happened. Yes, this is. We, Mark is just wanting to show us just how powerful Jesus is, and in some ways, I actually think verse thirty-five through the end of the chapter would have really went well with chapter five uh-huh. because chapter five is this series of events where Jesus's power is on full display, and we'll have to save that, of course, for next week. But this is a good kind of cliffhanger. Hey, we've we've punctuated. Uh, by talking about the power of Jesus, and so we're going to kind of uh, drill that home even more when we get to chapter 5 next week. Yeah, so we hope that you're hooked. Yeah, any other thoughts on chapter 4 before we close? Uh, just love everybody still. I'm still going to love them in chapter 4, and let's do it. All right. Or chapter 5. Look forward to chapter 5 next week.